today, how we can survive this age of apostasy in which we live. And Lord, we don't want to just survive this age. We want to be victorious in this age. Lord, we want to be the kind of people, the kind of uh, Christians that can actually impact this world in this dark and evil age in which we live. We want to see the church grow and flourish, Lord. We want to see people saved. We want to learn to serve one another. We, we want to be the kind of people that you want us to be. And, and Lord, you're going to show us just how we could do that today in this little book. Father, there's just all sorts of distractions out there today. Uh, we just ask uh, that, uh, uh, that, Lord, you just uh, make this just a special service. Uh, and, Lord, that we just sense your, your, your power and your Holy Spirit in what we study today. Lord, you just got some very important material for us to learn. And, and uh, Lord, we want to... We want to be blessed by you as we study the word. And Lord, we want to bless you uh, with our attention. We want to bless you as we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper and, and just celebrate what you've done for us, Lord. Just, just help this to be a very, very special service. And it can only be that by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I ask that, that you bless this service and bless our study. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Again, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Jude, and we'll be in the last little passage there, a few verses, uh, beginning in verse number 17. I think we left off in uh, verse number 16, so we'll pick up in verse number 17 today. You know, the apocalypse, uh, or the end times, has become really big business in America today, and especially in the church. Uh, there's all sorts of people that are, are making bucks off of scaring people about the end times. Uh, there's, there's these preachers that sell survival kits to get you through the end times. Uh, on one particular site, and I went there as I was studying for this message just to get my facts straight, but, but on one particular website of a very well-known TV evangelist, and I won't give you his name, but on his website, he has all sorts of things that you can buy to survive the end times. I mean, he has a fuel, fuelless generator that you can buy for, you can buy the, the kind of the low grade one if you're poor for around $1,200, but you can buy the really expensive one for like $3,000. Uh, you can buy a year's supply of survival food for you and your wife. Not for your kids. You'd have to get extra for your kids if you want them to survive. Depending on how good your kids are. But if, but if you want your kids to survive, that's extra. But you can buy a year's supply of food. The gourmet version now. You want the gourmet version with desserts and all that kind of stuff. You can buy enough buckets for that for, for a year for $1,200. If you just want to just survive and you want to live on rice and beans, you can buy a year's supply of rice and beans ready to cook for... Uh, only uh, $400, and they'll sell you the stoves and all the things that you'll need to cook those things. And they also sell these water bottles with these special filters that are so good that you can actually, you can actually put sewer water in them, and you can drink the sewer water. That's how good they are. Now, can you imagine? Wouldn't that be fun to be, you know, after, in the apocalypse to, to drink your own waste and, and uh, be able to drink that? No, that'd be terrible. 
Now, I'm not going to give you this guy's name. Some of you might know who I'm talking about. If you watch enough TV or Christian, so-called Christian TV, you probably know exactly who I'm talking about. But he's what Jude would call, I'm going to put it very bluntly, and I'm using Jude's word, he's what Jude would call a brute beast. A man who, an apostate who's gone the way of Balaam for profit. And, and he's not the only one. The church is full of these apostate teachers and deceivers that are making hay off of people's fear. And that's a shame. So what I'm going to do today, I thought about maybe getting my own survival kit and see if I could sell some of them as, as we go through the book of Revelation. But I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Instead of selling you an apocalypse kit, survival kit, what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you, give you, no charge. Now, if you want to donate, you can donate. But uh, I'm going to give you, at no, as the Lord leads, you can donate. I want to give you a survival kit for the age of, not the age of the apocalypse, because I got news for you, I'm not going to be here during the apocalypse. I'm going to be out of here. So I'm going to give you a survival kit so you, can, so you can survive, guys, like this guy I'm talking about. So you can survive this age of apostasy that we now live in. And really, it's not my survival kit. It's the survival kit that God gives us through the little book of Jude and the words of Jude in the very last part of this book. So go with me to the book of Jude. And we'll get our little survival kit here for the age of apostasy. And we'll pick back up in verse number 17 and 18. Before he gives us a survival kit, he's going to give us some more ways to recognize these apostate teachers, these false Christians. And listen to what he says, beginning in verse number 17. He says, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last times who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. Now you think about it. Here was Jude living 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago, and he considered the time in which he lived the very last days or the last days. And We've learned from our study and in various books of the Bible, when do the last days begin? They begin at Pentecost. When do they end? They end when the Lord returns. And so Jude was living in the last days, and we're living in the last days. But hey, we're living in the very last days. And if things were bad in Jude's day... Think of how bad they are now because the Bible never teaches that things are going to get better and better. That's what some people, some false teachers teach. That's not what the Bible teaches. What does the Bible teach? That, the things, are, that things are not going to get better and better. They're going to get worse and worse. And so if things were this bad in Jude's day, how bad are they now? If the church was becoming apostate in Jude's day, how apostate is it now? I mean, it's got to be really apostate. I believe we're living in the most apostate age of the church. I don't believe things are going to get any worse than they are now because I believe the Lord is coming very, very soon. But anyway, 
we're living in that age. And so Jude paints a pretty bleak picture of the church. But you know, Jesus did too. If you remember in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus gave a little metaphor about the history of the church. And he, as for that metaphor, he used a mustard plant. And remember what he said about the mustard plant. He said the mustard plant's planted with a little mustard seed, that tiny seed, and it grows up. And if you've ever seen a mustard plant, I've never seen one. I've seen pictures of a mustard plant. They're not prolific here in Louisiana. I don't know if anybody has a mustard plant, but let me give you a comparison. You know what a chicken tree is? Everybody, if, if you've ever had any land, you know what a chicken tree is. Well, what's a chicken tree good for? A chicken tree grows up and it goes to seed and it's just this big, ugly bush that becomes a weed that really becomes so big it becomes like a tree. And the only thing that it's good for is for the birds to nest on it. And that's exactly what Jesus used as a picture of the church, how the church was going to grow. It was going to grow up into this grotesque looking bush and the only thing that it was going to be good for is for the birds to nest in it. And, and when the Bible speaks of birds, whenever it, birds are used symbolically, what are they used use symbolically for? If you've been around long enough, you know, for demons. So what Jesus was saying when he was painting this picture and he was saying that the church is going to grow up and like a mustard seed into this mustard bush and the only thing that it's going to be good for is for the birds of the air to nest on, what he was saying was that the church as it grows and grows and grows into this mass organization is going to become this grotesque organization and the only thing that it's going to be good for is for the birds of the air to nest on, the demons to come in and nest in. And, and that's a picture of the apostate church. And that's pretty much the way Jude has described things way back in his day. Remember what he said. He said there's going to be deceivers and people who are deceived. And what he says right here, looking at this verse in verse number 18, he says that there will be mockers. Now, what are they going to mock? What are they going to mock? They're going to mock the word of God. Now, now would, I don't think anybody in this room would mock the word of God. But there are a lot of churches today, a lot of mainstream denominations, and, and I'm not just talking about the cults, I'm talking about in a lot of mainstream denominations, the word of God is mocked. I mean, if you go into some churches and you tell them that you believe in a little Adam and Eve, they'll laugh at you. I'm talking about evangelical churches. You go into some churches and you tell them that you believe, and we were looking at this book, beginning to look at this book on Wednesday night. If you tell them that you believe that Jonah was swallowed by a well and, and was in the belly of the well three days and he was spit up and he was still alive, if, if you believe that, they would laugh at you. They would mock you because they don't believe in the literal word. If you would tell people that, that God says that homosexuality, homosexuality is an abomination to him, they would mock you. They would scoff at you. Try that in this society. Try that in a lot of evangelical churches and you'll be mocked because there are going to be mockers in the last days. Who Look at what else he says. They walk according to their own lust. In other words, they don't, they, they don't care that much about the Lord or anybody else. All they care about is fulfilling their own lust. As Jude said earlier, they serve themselves. I had somebody a couple of months back who told me they're not going to come to church here anymore because they didn't feel like they were being served properly in this church. Now, I got a new concept for you, all of you. 
You don't come to church to be served. You come to church to serve others, to serve God. I mean, look around you and look at the people in here. You want to look at these people and say, how can I serve these people? And you know how the church functions and it functions well is when we begin to serve one another. I mean, if I'm serving everybody in this church and everybody's serving me, listen, you're going to get served an awful lot. But the church is full of people who come to church and if all of a sudden they're not being served, if they're not being ministered to, if you don't treat them special and they're not going to serve you and they're not going to serve anywhere in the church and they're not going to serve anybody else, but they come and if, they, if, you don't, if you don't treat them like little babies and take care of them, then they're going to bolt. They're going to leave. That's the church age we live in. You don't come to be served. You, you come to serve others. And, and, and they're like shooting stars. Jude said they're like shooting stars. They're here for a moment and they're gone. They flash in and they're all excited about the Lord. And then they're gone. And they're grumblers and complainers. They're always grumbling and complaining. You know what the most the selfish people in the world find sometimes plant in the church. And all they do is grumble and complain. Because, they, because when all you do is serve yourself, you're going to be a miserable person. And all you're going to do is grumble and complain. And, and they are flatterers. They, they, they flatter people in order to, Jude says, in order to gain advantage over them. They tell people, hey, man, you're good. You're a good person. Everything's fine. You, you know, you're, you, you, everything's wonderful about you. When it really, we're all pretty bad off, aren't we? We all need the grace of God. We need as much of the grace of God as we possibly can get. And these people won't be ruled by God. And so you know what happens? Eventually the church is ruled by demons. And they come in with their false doctrine and they cause all sorts of problems. And, and you know, that's a pretty bad description of the church. I mean, this big weed where the demons come in. I mean, this, this terrible description that Jude gives, but, but you know, that's not, I'm not, I'm, I'm just reading the Bible for you here. This isn't my description of the church. This is Jesus' description of the church. This is Jude's description of the church. And then look at verse number 19. These are sensual persons who cause divisions. And here's why. Here's why. Not having the spirit. What spirit? The spirit of God. In other words, they've never been born again. And so they're de they've deceived themselves. I mean, I think most of them sincerely think they are born again, but they don't have the Spirit of God, and you know it. And they deceive themselves, and they bring in their false doctrine, and they bring in all sorts of problems into the church, and they cause confusion and division in the church. And the reason is they don't have the Spirit of God. They are sensual person. That word sensual there in the Greek, and I don't want to bore you with the Greek, but that, that word is suke, suke, which which means the, it's the, the word for the, for the spirit of an animal. It's not the, we all have a suke, but without being born again, we don't have the living spirit of God. And the suke, which is an animalistic spirit, all it's concerned about is sexual pleasure and eating and drinking and, and fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And there are a lot of people in the church that are sensual people. They only have the...
suke. And the reason they only have the suke is that they've never been truly born again. Man, that's Jude finishes there. And that's a pretty bleak picture of the church. So how do we survive in such an apostate age? I mean, how do we get by in an age like we live in today? Well, here's the good news. Hey, we can do more than survive. And here's, like I said, the good news is we can survive this age. You're going to survive this age. You're going to survive it if you're a child of God. You can and and you're going to. And not only are you, can you survive it, and here's the, if you've got, you get these things down he's about to give us, you can be victorious in this age. You can do great things for the kingdom of God in this age. Hey, the darker the world is, the brighter your light shines if you're truly a born-again believer. So there are exciting things ahead for those of us who are living in this very, very dark age of apostasy. God can do wonderful things through us if we'll get these things down. He's about to show us right here. So let's look at the survival kit that he gets, gives us, beginning in verse number 20. He says, but you, beloved... Why does he call us beloved? Because we're not apostates. If if you have the Spirit of God, you're not an apostate. And and you're going to survive this age, and you're going to survive it in victory. But you, beloved, building your... Now, here comes our survival kit. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. You know, years ago, when I first got saved, and I was really struggling, really struggling, because I'm going to tell you, when you first get saved, it is not a cakewalk. The devil comes at you really hard, and he tries to get you to give up on that faith that God has given you. But I remember a guy coming up to me, and I believe the guy was a prophet. The guy came up to me, and he says, you know, yeah, your stuff's bad for you, but you have your faith. You have your faith. And I thought, well, gee whiz, that's great to hear. But, man, I look back on that now, and I look back on the last 27 years of my life, and you know what? There's nothing more precious to me than my faith because everything that's good in my life is because of my faith. My relationship with my wife is good because of my faith. My relationship with my children is good because of my faith. My relationship with my church is good because of my faith. It's the most holy thing I have. And so I want to build on my faith. On my most holy faith, the most important thing, the most separated thing I have under God is my faith, and I want to build on that faith. And how do I build on that faith? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, he says, faith comes from what? Hearing and hearing from the word of God. So my most holy faith is based upon the absolute truth of God. And what's the absolute truth of God? Genesis to Revelation. That is the absolute truth of God. And I want to build on that faith. I want to keep building on that faith. Pastor, you say this is the word of God. How do you know it's the word of God? Let me tell you how I know it's the word of God, because I have the spirit of God. And if you have the Spirit of God, if you, if, you, if you don't believe this is the literal, inerrant Word of God, I'm going to tell you right now, you're an apostate. Because you don't have the Spirit of God. 
Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 17. He says, if anyone wills to do my will, he shall know concerning this doctrine whether or not it is from God, whether or not it is the absolute truth. The reason you know it's the absolute truth because you want to do the will of God. And when you make the decision that you want to do the will of God, that you want to serve God, that you want Jesus to be your Lord, you're going to know that all 66 books of this Bible are the absolute truth of God. So Jesus said, build yourself up on this most holy faith. Now look back at the verse and look at the second thing he gives us here. In verse, number nine, in verse number 20, he says, Build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You get that? Not just praying, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a lot of churches out there, a lot of pastors out there that tell you that praying in the Holy Spirit is praying in tongues. And that's the only way you can pray in the Holy Spirit. If you're not praying in tongues, you're not praying the Holy Spirit. Baloney. You haven't read your whole Bible. I see a lot of prayers in the Holy Spirit in the Bible that are not in tongues. I believe that praying in tongues is praying in the Holy Spirit. But that's not the only way you pray in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. What's it mean to be praying in the Holy Spirit? When you're praying in the Holy Spirit, that means that your prayers are led by the Holy Spirit. They aren't led by you. And if you're a born-again believer, I don't have to tell you the difference between pray, praying in the flesh and praying in the Holy Spirit. You know the difference. Man, I know the difference when I'm praying in the Spirit. You know why I know the difference? Because I, when I'm praying in the Spirit, I sense God's presence in my prayers. And I know, it, I know I'm praying the prayers of God and I'm praying in the Holy Spirit because when I'm praying in the Holy Spirit, my prayers are more intercessory than they are on myself. You know, if it's up to me, you know, when I'm praying in the flesh, when I'm in there for hours telling God about all my problems and I want my problems fixed, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with doing that. But when that's all you're doing, boy, you can sense the dryness in those prayers. Then all of a sudden the Spirit comes upon you and you're, and you're starting to pray for other people. And you're filled with praise for Jesus Christ. You know, that's one of the things when I know I'm praying in the Spirit, I can pray, praise Jesus Christ and it's not flattery. It's actual praise coming from my heart. I know the difference. There's times when I'm praying, I'm, oh, Lord God, holy God, almighty God up in heaven, all these kind of things. And it's, now, let me tell you what I need. You know, I'm trying to flatter God when God doesn't need our flattery in order to get what I want. But when I'm praying in the Holy Spirit, I'm praising the name of Jesus just from my heart. It's flowing from my heart by the Spirit of God. It flows naturally out of my mouth by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I've got to confess to you, a lot of my prayers, a lot of my prayers are in the flesh. They're not in the Spirit. I wish I prayed in the Spirit all the time. But I know the difference. And I'm sure if you're a born-again believer, you know the difference. So how do we make sure? I mean, how do we pray more in the Spirit? What do we do in order to pray more in the Spirit? Well, first of all, I'll tell you it real simply, you've got to give God time. You've got to be patient with God. God's not going to give you a, a spiritual prayer. He's not going to give you the intimacy that comes in praying in the Spirit when you're trying to blow him off with a five-minute prayer in the morning. He's not going to do that. I mean, I say he's not going to do it. There's been times in his grace he has done that for me. 
But if, if I, if I want to really pray in the Spirit, I've got to get before God. I've got to give Him some serious time. I've got to be patient. That means I've got to listen to God more than I speak. I've got to wait on God to speak to me. I've got to get in my closet by myself, and I've got to wait on God. And I wait, and I wait, and I wait until I can pray in the Spirit, however long that takes. Then I'll tell you what, if you want to pray in the Spirit, you can't be quenching the Spirit all the time and grieving the Spirit all the time. You know, I don't believe at all what some pastors will tell you is that, that if you've got sin in your life, then God doesn't hear your prayers. That's baloney, or he'd never hear my prayers. Because I have simple thoughts all the time. I get angry at people all the time. I think evil thoughts all the time. I mean, not all the time. I'm sounding really bad here. Y'all going to walk out on me and... And uh, we won't finish this sermon. But I, a lot of times I do. And I know I'm such a sinner. But when, I, when, I'm, when I'm grieving the Spirit, when I'm, when I'm always angry at people, or I don't believe like I should believe, or I, I, let me tell you what will grieve the Spirit worse than anything. Gossip. Gossip. You start talking bad about the preacher, especially. You talk bad about the preacher. If you want to please God, you get in there and say, man, I, this preacher's great. You gave us. No. But gossip. I know when I gossip that I grieve the Spirit of God, and I can sense it in my prayers. That's why if you come up to me and you start telling me about somebody, I'm going to tell you I don't want to hear it. My son was telling me about people who were talking bad about him. on his parents. He's a baseball coach, and how these parents are talking bad about him. I said, look, somebody comes up to me, and I've had people do this. I'll cut you off. You come up to me and say, man, you ain't going to believe what so-and-so said about you. I said, I don't want to hear it. Because, because that doesn't accomplish anything. All you're going to do is make me feel bad. You're going to make me just like that person. I don't even want to know who said it. If they want to think bad about me, let them think wrongly, if they want to think wrongly, because they're wrong. They're thinking bad about me. You've got to have some confidence. Unforgiveness. You, 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 you know, I see people all the time, oh, I forgive that person. I forgive them. And you know they hate their guts. You just know it. I can sense it. There's no forgiveness in their hearts whatsoever. You can't just say I forgive somebody. You know how you forgive somebody? You show them forgiveness. You show them kindness and you show them mercy no matter what, how they're treating you or what they've done to you in the past. You just can't run around, well, I forgive them, I forgive them, and really hate them. If you do that, you're not going to have your prayers answered. You're not going to pray in the Spirit. There's no way you're going to pray in the Spirit in a situation like that. Then in verse number 21, he gives us some more things for our survival kit. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, here's the next thing in your kit. It's the outshining love of God. You want to keep yourself in the sunshine of the love of God. That's what you want to do. You want to always Keep yourself in the sunshine of the love of God. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. Doesn't, doesn't God always love me? Yeah, God always loves you. But you always don't sense his love, do you? you? Sometimes the days are cloudy. 
and they're dark. And it seems like you can't see God's love. You can't feel God's love. You know, on a cloudy, dark day like today, you can go over the airport, you can get in an airplane, and if you go up about 10,000 feet, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see the sun shining because the sun's always shining. It's always shining. God's love is always shining on you. You, you want to know how you get there? You go up. You go up. Paul says in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Go up. When, I, when, when The darker it is, the greater it is when you see the sunshine. And God's love is always shining. And so, so when you feel depressed and you feel down, get up. Go up. Set your mind on things above. That's all you've got to do. And quit focusing on the darkness of this life, on this age of apostasy, on this age of, of, of evil that we live in. Go up. Get above things. And the devil's going to try to keep you in the clouds. He's going to kind of keep you below. And you just got to make a choice. I'm going to get up above this. I'm going to set my mind at a place where I can sense the outshining of the love of God. And here's the one, one of the ones I like the best. I keep in my kit all the time. And that's the true hope I have in Jesus Christ. Looking for the mercy of our Lord. What's Jude speaking of there? He's speaking of the second coming of the Lord. Man, I don't care how bad things are going to get. They're going to be made right soon. I can tell you that right now. I mean, they're gonna, this world's going to be made right. And one day we're going to be immortal creatures like him in glory. And does he do that because we're better than other people? No, he does that. Look at this verse. Because of his mercy. I look forward to his great mercy that he's already showing on me and that he's going to show on me forever. Paul puts it like this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. That day's coming soon, friends. And we're given that righteousness. We don't earn that righteousness. It's given to us. It was given to us when we were born again. We were made perfectly righteous in Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on, he says, not only to, to me, but also to those, listen to this, who love his appearing, who long for his appearing. You know what? More than anything else, I long for his appearing. Because when he appears, I will be like him. When he appears, I will have the crown of life, eternal life. And I got to tell you, if you don't long, look, Paul says it. Those who long for his appearing, those are the ones who are going to get eternal life. If you don't long for the appearing of Jesus Christ, there's something wrong. Again, you don't have the Spirit of God. If you can just say, man, this world's great. I just want to continue on this world forever. There's something wrong with you because you're worldly. You love the world. I hate this world. I hate, I'm of the world. And there's things about of this creation that I love because God created it. But this worldly system I hate and I long for the coming of Jesus Christ. My hopes in the coming of Jesus Christ. But none of it's going to be made right. Totally right. 
until the Lord returns. Then he gives us something else to have in your kit. You want to have something else in your kit to survive this age of apostasy? You need some compassion. Look at verse 22. And on, watch this, on everybody in the world you're to have compassion. Is that what he says? On some have compassion, making a distinction. That's important. On some have compassion. I mean, we need compassion in our survival kit, and let me tell you why. It's through serving others that you experience the power of God, that you're encouraged by God's presence in your life. I'm telling you, if all you do is live for yourself, you're never going to experience God. You're never going to experience the power of God. The power of God is not for you, it's for serving others. And the more you have compassion on others, the more you experience this power of God and the more you can face this age of apostasy. But we're to show compassion with distinction. The, the New King James, and if you got the King James, I would, I would disagree with the translation there. The New King James nails this translation. It's compassion with distinction. That's what Paul's saying right here. I mean, what, what Jude is saying right here, and that's exactly what Paul says. Remember over in Galatians chapter 6, flip back a few books. Go over to Galatians. And look at chapter number 6. Remember what Paul said there down in, beginning down in verse number 9. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 9. He says, and let us not grow weary in doing good. Let me tell you something. It's real easy to grow weary in doing good in a dark age like we live in. When people don't appreciate what you do for them. This past Christmas, with some of your guys' money, we went and bought some toys for a family that needed toys. They asked for toys, and we got them toys and and and. And i got to give the guy credit. He's one of the few people that's ever thanked us for anything we've done for somebody. When you do people do things for people, very rarely you can get a thank you note. I mean, he was like the first. And he at least thanked me. But he called me about, he called me about, I, I invited him to church, asked him where he went to church. He said, I'm going to come to church, I'm going to come to church, I'm going to come to church. I've never seen anybody come to church when you get help them either. But I said, uh, he said, I'm going to come to church in a couple of weeks. So sure enough, about... Three weeks later, he called me. Two or three weeks later, he called me. He said, look, I want to come to church. What time are you all meeting? And I said, well, we're meeting at uh, 1030 on Sunday, 630 on Wednesday night. And he said, well, that's great. He said, he said uh, and by the way, I've been really struggling with our power bill this month. Could you help us with our power bill? And I said, look, you come to church, and we'll talk about it. Well, I've never seen the guy since. And and and." and, and we get burnt like that over and over again. And I know what Jesus says, give to him who asks. I mean, I think, it's, I think if you're going to err on the side of, uh, which side you would err on the side of helping people if you're going you know, to err. But here's the problem. If you're not distinct in how you show compassion, you will end up like a chicken with your head cut off. You'll just be running around accomplishing nothing, and everything you will be dead. It'll all be dead. And so Paul says here, he says, let us not grow weary in doing, doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, now watch what he says. 
as we have opportunity. Now, who gives us the opportunities? God. So we want to look for the opportunities that God gives us to help others. Then let us do good. And then he shows us how to show the distinction, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, here's the problem in an age of apostasy in the United States of America. Everybody who tells you they need help is going to tell you they're a Christian. Where do you go to church? I don't go to church. But they're going to tell you they're a Christian. So we need the Spirit of God to lead us in this matter of giving. So don't go get weary in doing good, even though it's a tough age. I mean, show compassion, but we got to be careful that we distinguish who we show it to, or otherwise we're not going to be able to help the people that really need help that you can't help. You know, I want to help anybody. I love to help people. I know most of you love to help people, but I want to help people that I'm helping. I'm not enabling. People that I'm doing some good for. I don't know how many times we've given food to somebody. We've gone over there. I, one person I went over there and gave, we bought them a box of groceries from Sam, took it over there, and they, they were putting their drug paraphernalia up when we got there. Well, how much help were we giving them? All we were doing was giving them the groceries so they could buy drugs. And you just get burnt one time after the other, one time after the other, to where you, you know, it's really tough to help people. I could give you a list of these things if you want to go through them. We don't have time. Verse number 23. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments to, while you're doing it. Hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. Here's the sixth thing that you got to have in your survival kit. It's the gospel. It's the gospel itself. And what Jude is saying here is very similar to what he said in verse 22. He's saying share the gospel, but do it with distinction. Do it wisely. Be as gentle as a dove and as wise as a serpent. Listen to me. I hear people sometimes tell me, I'm going to go into this bar and I'm going to witness the people in this bar. No, you don't do that because you hate their garments defiled by the flesh. And you beware if you think you stand, lest you fall. And so what you do, yeah, you go help people. You share the gospel at every, with, at every opportunity that God gives you. You wait for the opportunities. Remember when Jesus gave his disciples marching orders, remember what he told them? Do not go house to house. Now that sounds kind of harsh. Don't go house to house. He said don't go to house to house for a reason. Why? Because you're the one who's leading the process if you're going house to house. As you have opportunity, share the gospel. God will give, listen to me. If you're open to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, God will give you lots of opportunities to do that. He will give you the boldness to do that when the time comes. I'm not saying all of this to give you an excuse to never share the gospel. We should be sharing the gospel. But one thing we don't do, we don't go down into the pit to save people. We throw them a rope because we hate the, the, what they're doing and we don't want to get involved in what they're doing. We actually, we actually are validating what they're doing if we do that. So we don't go down into that pit after them. We throw them a rope. If they don't want the rope, tough. But you don't go down into the pit. And then the other thing is you've got to wait on your opportunity. If all the disciples had done, gone house to house, think of all the people they would have missed that Jesus knew would receive the gospel. He is omniscient. 
He knew before the foundation of the world every person who's going to get saved. He knows where they're at. Yeah, they've got to make that choice, and you've got to get them, that gospel to them so they'll make that choice. But you've got to let him lead your preaching, your sharing of the gospel. And so you, you want to have that gospel in the kid because we live in dark ages, and boy, does, have we ever lived in an age where, I mean, this age more than any other, people need to hear the gospel. I, I don't, I, really, that's a bad statement because every age needs to hear the gospel. Every person needs to hear the gospel. And God will get the gospel to them, and he knows the ones that will receive that gospel. So, so Father is leading on that. Now, he's going to give you the most important thing in your survival kit. This is what you want to hang on to more than anything else if you want to survive the age of apostasy. And let me tell you who he is. He is Jesus Christ, our Savior. You're to cling to him in this dark age in which we live. Friends, it's only going to get darker and darker. Cling to him. Let's look at verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to keep you from falling. Who keeps you from falling? Do you keep yourself from falling? No. He keeps you from falling. You're not able to keep yourself from falling. You don't have the strength to survive this age on your own. He will keep you from falling. That's why I believe in eternal security, because he will keep me from falling, and he will present you faultless. Am I going to present myself faultless because, man, I didn't fall back and, and fall back into all those things? No, he's going to present me faultless. He's going to keep me from stumbling. If I'm trying to keep myself from stumbling, but where if you think you stand, lest you fall. He keeps me from stumbling. My prayer every morning isn't thank Lord, I'm not like thank you, Lord, I'm not like the rest of these sinners. My prayer is, Lord, I'm just like them. Keep me from falling. Keep me from stumbling. Present me blameless. He's made me blameless. He's going to present me blameless. How has he made me blameless? By my good works? No, by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way I'm made blameless. I've received his righteousness, his perfect righteousness. And so he's going to present me from ever stumbling, and he's going to present me faultless. Watch this. Before his presence. I'll tell you what, you don't want to stand before a holy God any other way but faultless. And there's no other way you can be faultless except by the blood of Jesus Christ. You go up there holding on to some of your good works and say, Lord, look at me. You're in trouble. He's going to present you faultless in the presence of his glory. He's going to present you faultless in the presence of his glory. And guess what? When you see him, you will be like him. You will be glorified too. You know, you guys got to say amen to that. Come on. I shouldn't have to tell y'all say amen to something like that. Think about that. Think about that. When you see him, you'll be like him in all his glory. You're going to be glorified, faultless, perfect. Not just for a while, but forever. 
And I'm going to tell you how you're going to feel. I don't have to tell you how you're going to feel. Jude tells you. With exceeding joy. Exceeding joy. Think of the most joyful time in your life. Think of that. The greatest joy you've ever had in your life. And it doesn't even touch the joy you're going to sense when you see him in the presence of his glory. The greatest joy you can possibly imagine. You can't even possibly imagine the joy you're going to have. And the joy is not going to be just for a moment. Man, I saw the Lord. Man, I had this great joy. That joy is going to last forever and ever and ever and ever. Who's this Jesus that we cling to? Remember I told you in the introduction of the book, one of the most amazing things about this little book is the high Christology of Jude. I mean, here was Jude. Jesus was his half-brother. He had saw him in all his uh, human humility. And yet, look at how he sees Jesus now in verse number 25. To God our Savior. You got that? I, I, I had a guy quit coming to church here because he doesn't believe Jesus is God. Well, it can't be any clearer than that. God, God, I I didn't make that up. Our Savior, who's our Savior? Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Savior, but let me tell you something interesting. Let Let me read to you what Isaiah has to say about this. If I can find it here in my notes, I'm looking for. In Isaiah chapter 43, listen to this verse. I am Jehovah Elohim, that's God speaking, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, your only Savior. Who's my God? My Savior, Jesus Christ. Who's my Savior, Jesus Christ? Jehovah Elohim. That's who my Savior is. That's not all Jude says. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, who alone be glory and majesty and dominion and power forever. I mean, wait a minute. Is the Father not wise? Is the Holy Spirit not wise? I mean, doesn't the Holy Spirit, I mean, doesn't God the Father get a little glory and majesty and dominion and power? Jude says, who alone is wise, who alone be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Look, Jesus is the Father. The Father is Jesus. I believe in the Trinity. I believe Jesus has always existed as Jesus. There's always been the Holy Spirit, there's always some other, but here, O Israel, your God is one God, Jehovah Elohim. It's the same God. It's not three individual personality gods. It can't be. I mean, if either Jude's a liar or God's a liar, Or Jesus is God. 
Because there's only one Savior, Jehovah Elohim. There's only one who's wise. There's only one who has all power and glory and dominion forever, Jehovah Elohim. And Jesus is either Jehovah Elohim or there's some lies in this Bible. I don't believe there's a, one error in this Bible, one lie in this Bible, one exaggeration in this Bible where it's given as doctrine. It's all truth. You know, I told you also a couple of weeks ago, there's no, wasn't accidental the way God arranged the 66 books of this Bible. What is the next book you come, into, come to in the Bible, all you scholars? Revelation. The book of Revelation. What's, the, what's Revelation mean? It's the Greek word apocalypse. What's the apocalypse? We think of the apocalypse as bombs falling and all this, but what is the apocalypse? It means the unveiling. The unveiling of who? Jesus Christ. What an introduction to the unveiling of Jesus Christ. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. That's who you're going to see when you look on the pages of Revelation. You're going to see the God of glory. You're going to see Jehovah Elohim in the flesh. John saw him like that. John, who had walked with him for years, and when he saw him like that, he fell on his face as dead. And if Jesus is my God, then he has all the wisdom and dominion and power and glory to make me a survivor in this apostate age and to make me more than just a survivor, to make me a conqueror in the kingdom of God. See the power available to us? Man, take this little survival kit home with you and read it again. Take it with you wherever you go. And you'll begin to experience some power. You'll begin to experience some victory in your life. You'll begin to experience purpose. Purpose. Other than just existing, you'll have a purpose. You'll do great things for the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for our Savior. We thank you, Jesus, that you're our Savior. We thank you for who you are. You have all wisdom and power and glory and honor forever and ever. Lord, we know you can get us through these tough times. We know you're going to present us faultless in glory. We know you're going to glorify us and we're going to see you and have exceedingly great joy. And Lord, it's in your intention for us to experience some of that joy now. If we'll just follow these principles that you've given us here. Again, we just thank you for your goodness and just all you are and what you are to us. Help us to bless you, Lord, and be the kind of people you would have us to be. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.